right now on Pat Rafter Arena. Men's singles action. Please welcome from Canada, Dennis Shapovarilov. At line 56, we have seed 20, Felix Orgel-Asame. Felix Ogre a la Asamhe? What? I think that was it. That's it. I don't speak French, but I think that's it. That was wild. <laughs> <laughs> this poor man. He's become famous on tennis Twitter. No, who are you talking about? The dude who did the mispronunciations? Mm. No, this is not a poor man. <laughs> this is a man who did not do the work he needed to do. It wasn't just Felix. He butchered many many names last night it was a complete train wreck <laughs> actually i will say this when he started off with the woman's draw i was like okay this i'm i'm actually kind of surprised at how you know quickly he's going through the names without too many problems and then boy did that train derail mm -hmm. anyway welcome back to the body serve i'm jonathan and i'm james the Australian Open draws out. We are most of the way through these warm-up tournaments that were cobbled together to get players some match play ahead of this bizarre Australian Open. People have a lot of thoughts with what's happened in tennis the last couple days. We'll get into that a little later on, but for now, let's take stock of where we are with those warm-up tournaments. As of recording, most of them are in the semifinal stage, the Grampians Trophy started a few days later to help out those players who were in the hard lockdown, and they're currently playing their quarterfinals. So some of these results are going to be out of date by the time you hear mm -hmm. them. In the Yara Valley Classic, the WTA 500 tournament, Ashley Barty is now into the final because Serena Williams withdrew from their semifinal. In the other semifinal, Muguruza versus Vondrosova. Muguruza, oh my lord just beat down Sophia Kennan. Mm -hmm. Revenge for last year's Australian Open final. It's what she should have done back then. Well, you're saying that, as is all of mm -hmm. Rena's army, for whatever reason. <laughs> I tweeted this thing, um, what one word would you use to describe that performance by Muguruza? And I, I put three suggestions. I didn't, I didn't mean to limit it to just those three, but so many folks quote tweeted and was like, yeah, a year too late. Like, really? Y'all cared that much last year? <laughs> Weren't y'all the ones who didn't want Muguruza to have a third slam and become more relevant? Uh, Williams fans tend to like Garbina when they're not, when she's not playing Venus or Serena. I think because she's, you know, she's so tough. She, she has this imperious nature about her. She feels like the real deal. She's got rhythm. That comes for something. Does, yes. Anyway, that was that that took me out a little bit. That was a little bit strange. But <laughs> Garbina looks well prepared. She as looks, much as somebody it, could be be prepared in this instance. Yeah, but she looks in scary good form. Looks super fit. Vondrosova gets to the semifinals 
she did not have a great year after making the French Open final in what that was way back in 2019. Not more than three short years ago. <laughs> not Two. more than three days ago. <laughs> you were in this living room telling me, wow, Von Drosova is so lucky to still have Why? that ranking. Oh, right, right, right. You said that to me not more no, than right. three short days ago. Because I saw her ranking and I was like, oh, really? She's still up there. But uh, she beats Gracheva, Vera Zvonareva, Podoroska to get to the semifinals here in Yara Valley. The other WTA 500, the Gippsland Trophy. We got Alexandrova versus Kanepi in the first semi. Surprising results. Sviantek goes out to Alexandrova. Kanepi, I mean, can beat anyone on any given day. Beats uh, the, the monstrous Sabalenka, who's been on an absolute tear. Alexandrova also clobbered Simona Halep in the quarterfinals. And early reports, I don't know how much this is true, but early reports are that Simona was carrying some kind of back injury. Mm. I I don't know for sure. I can sympathize with that. The other semi, we had Naomi Osaka. Uh, Naomi has pulled out. Elisa Mertens goes to the final. She beats Fidelina earlier in the tournament. On the men's side, we have the Murray River Open. The semifinal lineup, Felix Auger-Aliassim. Not, dif- not that difficult. Okay. Oh, I mean, I'm just excited he's there. Oh, okay. Not about the pronunciation. <laughs> Speaking of pronunciations, he'll be playing Quarantin Mutet, which is how Mr. Mutet pronounces it on the ATP website. It is. He has anglicized his name. They, they're in one semifinal. Felix, of course, aiming to make his seventh ATP final in search of his first ATP title. Seventh. And in search of his first set win in an ATP final. Mm. So let's let's keep eyes on that. He saved a match point in his third round match against Garasimov. And then in the quarterfinals against Vesely, Vesely had to retire down a set after losing the first set. So Felix is there against Mutet. In the other semifinal, Dan Evans plays Jim Shardy. Jim. At the Great Ocean Road Open, Yannick Sinner, you'll hear a lot about him later on in the show, Yannick Sinner will be playing Karen Hachanov in one semifinal, and Tiago Montero versus Travaglia in the, the second semifinal. Now, we talked about Grampians, uh, a 32-player draw, another WTA 500. Uh, I think the WTA did a great job of offering opportunities to players to get a lot of points, to earn some money in this short week before the Australian Open. It it seems like whatever the WTA does, they get criticized, either for being a pushover or being incompetent or whatever, but they threw together three 500-level tournaments sharing Melbourne Park with the men. We're going to get into that later in the the show. You are jumping the gun. (laughs) (laughs) But we've, you know, we've got Sakari Kerber in the quarters. Contivate has already made it through to the semis because Azarenka withdrew. Brady, Krejcikova, and Lee, Serana Kristea. And how about this ATP Cup? I'm having so much trouble keeping up with the ATP Cup. At the moment, they're currently playing. Spain is playing Italy. I believe Pablo Carreño Busta is playing Fabio Fonini. Yeah. And in the other semifinal, Germany will be playing Russia. Uh, Germany advancing after taking out Serbia last night. Wow, that <laughs> I just assumed Serbia would be through to the final. Russia has an incredible team. 
Uh, I mean, we got Rublev and Medvedev both in the top 10. Hachanov can't even make the team on in singles. Enough. That's enough of that tournament for now. Okay. <laughs> I want to minimize as much talk of that tournament as possible, save for critiquing it later on. We talked about how Garbinia looks so good at the Yarra Valley Classic so far. Honestly, quite a few of the top players looked very good in this first week. And I don't know if that has to do with having more access to resources during this pandemic than other players. Mm -hmm. Because Muguruza looked great. Serena looked great. Venus looked great. They uh, they also normally have a very short time to do that serious training block in December, either November or December. And this year, they had a whole lot of time. They had basically the entire fall. So that's a, a big luxury to bring into Australia for for anyone. Begu, if you recall, was in Adelaide. She won a, th- a few matches, unexpectedly. I was just kind of taking taking stock of who are the players who would have maybe had a little bit more at their disposal mm-hmm. during this quarantine pe- period in Australia. You promised Twitter that you were going to talk about Venus Williams' performance at Yarra Valley Classic. She won a match, lost a match, looked pretty good. She won her first match against lefty Aranskarus. Every time I pronounce that name, as per Aranska's pronunciation of the WTA website, you stop me yeah, and tell me I I've done it wrong. Just go back this and check. This is like the fourth time it's happened. Just to be sure. <laughs> and in that match, Venus looked, she looked great. What I find so impressive about Venus Williams at 40 years old, and I try to minimize talking about the age as much as possible, but in this context, it has to do with starting her 27th season on tour going through all the ups and downs of her career, battling back from Sjogren's Syndrome, learning to adapt that to her game, then learning to adapt what her game currently is just because of being older, is her patience. How how I marvel at the patience to work through abbreviating your serve, completely changing your serve, changing the technique on your forehand deploying backhand slices much more than ever because it gives you more time to recover within a point to get back into position. She's had to completely reconstruct her game to still try and compete at a high level. And I'm left wondering, watching these matches, if I'm at Anskarus, I'm looking across the net and yes, that's Venus Williams. But my God, how am I losing to a 40-year-old woman? Yes, Venus looks slower. She's noticeably slower in court. She hits up the middle of the court a lot more because, like we saw with Serena last year, in the last two years, the more they hit angles and hit to the corners of the court is the more they open up a whole other side of the court for their opponent to hit to that exposes their, their lack of movement. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I've noticed from Venus is kind of a, and I hope I'm not being offensive in saying this, kind of a rope-a-dope element to her game. Like she clearly has the firepower to hit as hard as she still wants to. But there are moments within matches, be it her actual physical demeanor on court, the way she kind of looks like she's going through a slog. Like it's a bit of a slog for her physically. Mm. But it's more of a maintaining energy and focus. And then when she needs to unleash something, provided she's able to get in position to do it, 
she'll still do it. It's no longer out-and-out out aggression from Ball 1 with Venus. We've seen the, the, the evolution of that the last couple of years, and I think, hopefully, we're at a place now where, given good health, given good rhythm, good match practice, some momentum, she's able to, to implement that in a winning way this year. What I saw through the first two matches, not dissimilar, mind you, from what we saw in Kentucky last year, upon resumption. This is the one thing that gives me pause, Venus came out of the gate looking great in Kentucky. And then it didn't really translate the rest of the season. She came out of the gate here in Melbourne looking awesome. And I only hope that she's able to get some matches, win a few matches in a row to keep this momentum going. In the next round, she meets Petra Kvitova for only the eighth time mm -hmm. in their careers. This is such a compelling matchup, obviously. We've seen some incredible matches from the two they almost always go to three sets. I think this was the first that didn't. Yes, prior to this match, every seven, all seven of them went the distance. As Petra says, upon winning, Venus brings out the best in me. And I think that can often be said mutually. They bring out something special in each other. Venus loves pace. And what you see when these two play is an understanding of what's to come. And thus, from ball one the intensity is at full throttle. Like, there were points in that first set where Petra was just looking around in disgust, almost like, I'm not about to lose to this old lady today. <laughs> and then the very next ball after she did that, she just clobbered it for a winner. And I'm floored that Venus is still able to participate in a match of that intensity and that level for so long maybe that's sacrilegious to some to hear but at 40 years old like i can't help but take that in and feel like this is crazy the match result was seven six seven five venus was up three one in the first set and at that point the momentum definitely shifted because petra was was not really in rhythm and then when she found her rhythm you were like wow this Titanic has been turned around, and I don't know what Venus is going to do. But she was able to do it. She steadied it. So much of that match was Venus withstanding Petra's pace, picking her spots, redirecting, and somehow sticking around. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, And then being able to give it to her when she needed to. But when a court is fast, yes. like this one, who is withstanding Petra's wide lefty serve? I mean, Venus has a lot of experience doing it. Right. But it, it wears you down, it even does. the best players. And, but what's different for Venus now is that that serve becomes so much more effective against Venus. Yes, she still has the long wingspan to be able to get there in the backhand side. But the reflexes are just a little bit slower. Mm. And when she returns the ball, the entirety of the court is open for of Petra. Of course. There's, and, there's nothing And on a court that. that fast, it's... It's just a one-two punch for Petra. Yeah. They get to the second set. Petra is up 4-1, and it looks like it's all over. I think I was in the DMs of, a, of a, <laughs> a tennis Twitter mutual, and we were just resigned to what was happening. And, the, and then there she came. <laughs> That's the other thing about Venus Williams. Even still, the determination and the grit and the belief to come back from a set on 4-1 against Petra Kvitova so Venus gets back on serve and then eventually loses that match 7-6, 7-5. It was high entertainment. 
Like this, the level shown in this match had no business happening for Petra's first match of the year and Venus's second match of the year. Like it was, it was a treat. One final note on Venus, and I've been going on and on about this <laughs> thus far, is just from the perspective of a fan and dealing with the the emotional struggle of wanting Venus to get number 50. If you are still believing that Venus can get another Grand Slam title after 2017, there's that as well. Having lived through 2017, where, where to my mind she was the best player on tour and should have been the player of the year, making two slam finals, being a Sloan Stevens backhand away from making a third <laughs> final, and then making the final of the year in championships. On top of that, you have Venus here now three years later, giving so much to still achieve her dreams that she clearly still believes in. It's just too much. And as fans, it's absolutely a burden to bear. It's a good burden, but it's still a burden to bear. You know, like it's, I try to get to the point where I can just watch Venus and just enjoy it. And it's so difficult because it just feels like there's so much at stake still because she wants it so much still. You have this experience watching Patrick Vidova, you specifically, and you've put this on the agenda. I'm surprised you want to open up this Pandora's box now, but let's go there. Question for the listeners as a preface. Is there a player who you absolutely hate when they're playing your fave, but stand them every other day of the week? Like You can be out here rooting for this person any other day than when they're playing your fave. For me, that's Petra Kavira. Yeah, it is. You know, Petra is the sweetest. She's funny. She has been through so much and dragged herself back to the top of the game. Uh, there is so much to like about Petra. But when she is playing Venus, the screaming and the squawking drives both of us absolutely insane. Mm. <laughs> People out here give Danielle Collins hell. For her screaming. But listen, Patrick Kvitova is not far behind. <laughs> the yes. only difference is that y'all thought that Danielle Collins was a MAGA lover. And so it was okay to hate her for that. And Petra is the sweetest. So you cannot hate her for that. There is there is a distinct double standard there. The squawking may be a little bit rude. But the, the thing is, Petra has built up so much goodwill. And she's such a great competitor and sports person that like when when she's not beating your fave it's so easy to love her mm -hmm. that's one point mm -hmm. and the other point is that you can dislike the behavior and still enjoy the person you know and the other point is even further that <laughs> the yell is objectively horrifying it is indeed <laughs> okay we got there I think we should put it to bed now because we have some serious Petra stands listening. <laughs> the schedule this week has been killer if you live in the U.S. and you have kind of a 9-to-5 job. So I, I've missed a lot, unfortunately, because I have to work in the morning. I woke up uh, earlier this week to all these messages about how Serena is back. She is looking in incredible form. The best I've seen her since 2017. And these were from you. <laughs> I mean... To be clear, I don't think that this necessarily means that Serena will win 24 this year. I think it means that it's the first time that I actually believe that she can. Mm -hmm. And there's good reason for this. You were able to witness this when you watched her play 
Danielle Collins yes, last night. Yes, She opens against Gavrilova. That's the match that convinced you that she was in much better shape mm-hmm. than we've seen her. Gavrilova herself coming back from injury looked great in that match. Yet, the result was still lopsided. Serena plays Peronkova next, who, you know, they had a thriller at the U.S. Open. And she beats her at, with the exact same score. 6-1-6-4 versus both Gavrilova and Peronkova plays Danielle Collins, who excels in Australia, who will compete to the last ball. And, you know, it wasn't perfect, right? Like, this is a warm-up tournament. Serena was returning. I mean, the return was lethal. Incredible. And there, But there were also some mistakes, right? She was having trouble on breakpoints, making you know, some errors here and there, making some bad decisions on court, mm-hmm. which I think you expect in one of these tournaments. Though Those were minimal, though. In the, in the big picture, the grand scheme of things, those mistakes were minimal. Mm-hmm. Nobody has a perfect match. The difference here compared to the last two years is most times when Serena would, would get into to trouble on serve, maybe have two or three bad points within a game, that would then snowball into something more deleterious mm-hmm. going forward. That didn't happen in this tournament. She, In her very first match, she was down love 40 and held serve. She gave up a break lead against Danielle Collins. There were other moments when she was clearly in the ascendancy and was pulled back a little bit by her opponent, and that didn't shake her. And the reason why I think this happened now is because she's in the best shape physically that she's been in since she's had Olympia. This is the quickest she's ever been since she came back after having Olympia. And it's also the quickest she's reacted to her opponent's shots. She's anticipating better. Like I said earlier when talking about Venus, she was hitting a lot to the middle of the court. That wasn't the case this time. Like, Mm -hmm. you got the sense that that Serena felt in complete control of whatever she wanted to do on court. It was just a matter of executing it. In the past, you felt that there was this panic that was always lurking around her game. And I always felt that that was because Serena didn't have full trust in her ability to stay the course on court physically. Yeah, be it injury or not being in in the shape that she wanted to be in. And so when the serve went awry, the one thing that she can control on court, that's when the panic really set in. And that wasn't the case this week. Granted, it's a a three-match sample, but it felt so starkly different from anything we've seen the last two two years. Right. And again, I don't want to be here telling you that she's going to win 24 this year because Muguruza might have something to say about that. Sviantek may catch fire again. Sofia Kennan may want to defend her title. Right. <laughs> there's so many women... As usual, there are like 15 women who could say, no, no, this is mine. Who can play at such a peak level. For one day to beat Serena or for two weeks to win the title. It doesn't mean that, but I think that we can actually feel confident that barring injury, Serena has the full repertoire, all the tools in her basket to win another Grand Slam, except for the net play. That is still <laughs> atrocious. Oh, you know, at one time it was really good. <laughs> it was a while ago, but the children don't believe it's true. We talked about how folks, especially online, have had a lot of thoughts about the state of tennis the last couple days. And the reason for that is because 
the whole Australian Open machine halted on Thursday, Wednesday night, when a hotel worker in one of the quarantine hotels tested positive for COVID-19. Yeah, that must have created some panic in the leadership at Tennis Australia. They reacted quickly. They canceled play the, the following day. All the players had to isolate again for 24 hours. They had to have a negative test before they could restart. So there were no further positive cases. Australia is really, you know, they're really serious about this stuff, as we know. But the players were allowed to go back on court yesterday. So far, everything's fine. But can you imagine, you know, if, if even a few players had tested positive... That could have thrown the entire Australian Open into disarray. It could have jeopardized the tournament from even happening if it got worse. Yes, because the government was clear. The Victorian government, the Premier Daniel Andrews, made it very clear. Tennis and the Australian Open is not a priority. If we need to have this cancelled, then so be it. (laughs) Sorry, Riley. (laughs) I know (laughs) Opoka was... Uh, saying on Twitter that he feels incredibly unwelcome in Australia this year, and it's just kind of a shitty situation. Listen, Riley Opelka uh, went off in so many different directions yesterday on Twitter, and none of them were a good look. Like, he is entirely in the doghouse. He earned a few brownie points for seemingly not being akin to the rest of his tree folk in American tennis. <laughs> but this was, this was not mm. it. I mean, the Victoria government would probably agree. Yes, you're not welcome. Yeah. We we grudgingly allowed you to be here. And what of it? <laughs> right. Who cares about your feelings yeah. in this moment? So we, we hope that there are no further positive cases, that this one-day lockdown was just out of an abundance of caution. But what happened when that full day of play was lost, the following day which would have been Friday in Melbourne, the schedule was jam-packed because they're playing six tournaments. (laughs) Six tournaments at Melbourne Park, and there was serious rain in the forecast. Mm -hmm. So folks are out here crying sexism all over the place about how this schedule was made. And the first thought, and I kid you not, I'm being entirely sincere, The first thought I had when I saw this new schedule of play was, wow, this makes a lot of sense. Because it wasn't just the the order of play, it was the fact that the WTA matches going forward from the quarterfinal rounds to completion of the events would be played with a third set super tiebreak instead of a regular third set. Yeah, I feel like you, you jumped the gun there. Why were people crying sexism? Yes, you're right. Folks were upset because of the change. Why were the men not required to play third set super tie breaks and only the women? And why were they all thrown onto this one court? Right. All of the women from the Gippsland tournament and Yarra Valley were scheduled on MCA back to back to back to back. Crazy schedule that day. MCA is a covered court, which is beneficial because it was raining. (laughs) <laughs> there are there are two other covered courts, but guess who was playing on those two covered courts? Right. ATP Cup takes precedence on the big court. But all the women were on MCA. They were playing a third set super tiebreak, a 10-point tiebreak. Or what do they call it? A 12-point tiebreak? 
It's a, a, a first to ten. Whatever. The first to ten. It sounded like a great idea to me. This is, I mean, these are tournaments that were literally cobbled together to get people practice. It was unclear for a long time if the Australian Open would even go forward. The majority of these players would not even be playing the week before a slam. Of course, so that's a good point. You have draws with all of the top players. Most of the top players do not play the week before a slam. They're not going to want to play Saturday or Sunday final and have to start a slam on Monday or Tuesday. It just doesn't really happen. So they decided to shorten the matches because they need to get through a lot. Because of the rain. Because of the rain and because of the incredible number of matches to to get Mm -hmm. through. You know, a a lot of the players are playing two singles matches in a day. Some were also playing doubles. It was an incredible... The men men were playing. Some of them were playing two matches in a day. An incredible logistical challenge to schedule all these things. I just, I mean, I know that we, you and I, get mad about a lot of things that I'm sure people don't agree with, but this is certainly not one that I'm going to be wasting energy on. Because I think it was a sensible decision by the WTA, even if they were asked by Tennis Australia, they made the sensible decision to shorten matches just to get through them and to to maybe encourage these players to actually get on court and play to stay in the tournament like do you does serena want to be in this long third set trying to get through against danielle collins probably not we've already seen serena osaka azarenka withdraw serena was first the other two followed these players are here to win a grand slam they're not here to win the gippsland trophy for me it was a win-win situation the players still get to have a high intensity workout in maybe a an exhibition type setting, knowing that they won't have to push themselves physically that much. Like no match is going to go more than two hours under this setup. Serena got through a three set match against Daniel Collins in an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. To me, it seems perfectly fine because these are incredibly abnormal conditions. This is a also a pandemic. Let's uh, let's not forget that part. Right. Whatever normal way we think about tennis, any other year, do it does not apply this go around. These I, are not normal lead-ups mm-hmm. to the Australian Open. Just because the clock struck 2021, we're in a new year, does not mean the pandemic is over. It still means that tennis is uh, is finding it very difficult to even continue on any sort of normal schedule. And a lot of players have had COVID-19. Uh, Some players have had COVID-19 within the past several weeks. Like, things are not normal. I'm now seeing people saying this is a bad look for the WTA with these players withdrawing. Serena, Osaka, and Vika, this is going to set a bad precedent going forward. Well, no, because they wouldn't be in this situation under normal circumstances going forward and they're they're not withdrawing from indian wells miami madrid like these are not big tournaments these are tournaments set up to provide players match play points and money ahead of the australian open and dare i say in whichever order of preference they so choose right (laughs) we know why the top players are here it's not for the money right if somebody who is lesser ranked if Alexandrova wants to go and play through till Sunday night at midnight to get those points and money, that's more important to her than right. it would be to Serena. Like, everybody is just trying to get through it right now. 
not more than three short days ago. What what is that? It's um, it's Mariah. Make it happen. Not more than oh. three short. <laughs> not more than three short years ago. <laughs> I thought you got it the first go round. <laughs> not more than three short days ago, the entire not just these tournaments, but the entire Australian Open was up in the air. Right. So to go from that point on Thursday to now Saturday starting in Australia and folks being, well, well, how did we get to a hundred so quickly <laughs> without <laughs> any critical thinking about this? Yeah. Well, and then it's like, well, the men get to play their normal length matches. And the men also have to play best of five next week. And do I hear any, any of the WTA players complaining? I haven't heard a peep. Not one. No. And we know. If somebody had something to say, they would have said it. <laughs> right. You, you know, Marta Kostiak would have gotten on Instagram Live and told us. Which brings us to the ATP Cup. I am so enraged by this event. Mm-hmm. So you weren't you weren't mad about the last thing, but you're really, really mad about this thing. Yes. Okay. You have a lot of feelings about the ATP Cup. Yeah. The ATP Cup was so lucky last year to have Novak Djokovic and... Rafael Nadal carry that event. It added gravitas. It added meaning to the event. This year, there's none of that. You just have a bunch of boys hitting a bunch of balls on court, taking up space, inconveniencing the entirety of the WTA. <laughs> That's all I see. Well, you you know, you are getting Djokovic. You got Djokovic. You're getting top players under normal circumstances. You're getting Alexander Zverev winning matches. Well, it's very clear under normal circumstances why this event is attractive to the ATP and to mm. fans. You get matchups between top players that you don't always get at these warm-up yes. tournaments before slams. I tweeted earlier in the week, I hate this stupid ATP event. It encroaches on women's tennis. The stakes are bogus. We don't need more jingoistic team events where men scream and yell like they're at war. We saw last year how easy it is for them to get carried away with this hyper-masculine nonsense. <laughs> Anything else? We haven't seen much of that latter part this year. What we've seen is a fairly run-of-the-mill, uninteresting, blah event. Well, we did get it from Djokovic and Shapovalov. I don't know what's going on between those two, but Djokovic was screaming and yelling, gesturing toward Shapovalov's box. Listen, this is this is Djokovic in regular events. Yeah. So, like, this is not unique to ATP. This is not him defending Serbia against the Canadian imperialists. <laughs> it's World War I all over again. See, this is why I don't like it, right? We have Davis Cup. Davis Cup exists. That's the event where you play for your nation. Mm-hmm. The rest of it, tennis is an individual sport. People are playing for themselves. Yeah. And so there are reasons why this tournament... It's not all bad. Like you said, they get to bro it up with their fellow countrymen. The, the men seem to really enjoy that. Anytime they can get together with their bros, have a laugh, whatever. It's good preparation because you get the match practice in. But the stakes, even though they want you to think they're really high, they're really not. And so if Rafa needs to protect his body for the Australian Open, he can skip a tie or two. Yeah, He skipped the first tie. He didn't play the second tie against Greece. He won't play the semifinal. Maybe he'll play the final. Doubtful, but maybe. He can pick his spots, is what I'm saying. Mm. So this tournament, what I'm saying, is being presented as so much more than what it is. It's given so much more prestige than what it actually is. 
and it's given the resources of an event that's so much bigger than what it is. Mm-hmm. And so when tennis is thrown into disarray, having to scramble in the middle of the middle of a pandemic to get this Australian Open started on Thursday, who is asked to budge? Everybody mm-hmm. but the ATP Cup, who gets to sprawl out on two of the big show courts under the roof while it's pelting down rain in Melbourne and have all the tennis fans, including fans of the WTA, fight against each other and tear down the WTA while these men stay unbothered playing this stupid event. Fight the real enemy. Exactly. what you're saying. Now this is your portion of the the episode. Right. Before we get into the draws, we are going to do the draws, I swear. Diana Yastrzemska update. Okay. She appealed to lift her provisional suspension with the ITF, denied by the independent tribunal. Then she appealed the same thing to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. They expedited the decision in a week, denied again. Now she's got to go back to the ITF independent tribunal and present a case. So we haven't heard the case yet. We don't know what sort of evidence she had to provide to the CAS. This was only to lift the provisional suspension. You know, there hasn't been like a a real sentence handed down by the ITF yet. So this can be a fairly long process. Which is important because we've been speculating along the way and we clearly weren't as informed as we maybe should have been. Yeah. Maybe the information wasn't all out there, but we're definitely learning more about what this process is actually going to be. Have you ever read one of those like 90-page PDFs of the ITF's anti-doping procedures? It 90 minutes? No. Skim through 90 it? pages. Oh, which would probably take me 90 minutes. It would take least. me way more. Uh, I am clearly not smart enough to understand all of this. But the next step is that Diana is going back to the ITF. In this, the, the claimant basically has to ask for a hearing. The burden of proof is on the party asserting the claim, which is her. And the decision is made on a balance of probabilities. So it's not beyond a reasonable doubt. The balance of probabilities is, is it 50% or more likely to have happened? And I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know who that actually will benefit in the situation. I don't know if it's helpful for her. So we'll see. She's not playing in Australia. That's the key thing. Mm -hmm. Do you want to read some of her statement? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there's some stuff... I'm sad that CAS dismissed my appeal. This part is the most interesting to me. I know my presence in Australia has raised some concerns. The urgent procedure with the ITF Independent Tribunal and the CAS could have lifted my provisional suspension, which would have enabled me to compete at the Australian Open. That's the reason why I was allowed to travel there. So for her, there was a legit hope that the provisional suspension would have been lifted and allowed her to play at the Australian Open. Because the ITF hasn't come down with a, you know, you're banned for two years yet, she felt there was was some hope. She goes on to pivot and says, Thus, I intend to return all the expenses engaged by Tennis Australia on my behalf. Mm -hmm. That was a big question. That's that's the right way to go, Miss Yastramska. She may not have a choice, but... But listen, this is getting ahead of the issue. It was very prompt. The day of the the decision, she put her statement out, said, "I'm gonna in, I'm gonna take responsibility of these costs." Yes, thank you. Godspeed. Before we move on to uh, some predictions and the draw, let's talk about Tony Trabert. 
one of the absolute legends of tennis in the 20th century. He died recently at the age of 90. In 1955, put together one of the all-time great seasons in amateur tennis, winning Roland Garros, Wimbledon, and the U.S. Open, winning the second and third slams without losing a set. At a time when not all the best players were on the amateur circuit. Mm -hmm. We covered that in one of our prior episodes. Uh, But still an amazing feat. He would turn pro at the end of 1955, competed on the pro circuit from 1956 onward, and had a pretty pretty serious rivalry with Juan Pancho Gonzalez, (laughs) as did pretty much everybody who played during that time. And typically not a friendly rivalry, as was often the case with Gonzalez. Trebert won the French Pro. As you might know, there was kind of an informal series of pro slams at the time before the Open Era. So he won the French Pro, I think, in the early 60s. Finished his career with 10 slams altogether, five in singles, five in doubles. He would go on to have a successful career in commentary covering both tennis and golf. For over 30 years. I did not know this. He also was the president of the Tennis Hall of Fame in Newport for 10 years, and that was pretty recent, up to uh, 2011. Like someone like Bob Brett, who also passed away recently, Tony Trebert did literally everything in tennis. Every job you can think of, he had. And one last thing, he was the last American man to win Roland Garros until Michael Chang in 1989. That was a big gap. And subsequent to that, only two have done it, correct? Jim Courier and Andre Agassi. Yeah, that's all I can think of. So not many American men have won the French (laughs) Open, is what we're saying. (laughs) This probably should have happened on the previous episode, or the one before that. But we want to make sure that we have on record what our picks are for breakthrough players of 2021. Mm, Because it's something that we do every year, and then look back at it at the end of the year For a little bit of bragging rights. Well, occasionally. (laughs) Or, you know, some humble pie. What we do is we break it into three categories. Breakouts in the top 50, 51 to 100, and 101 and above. Do you remember last year we had this big discussion about what does the above mean? Does the above mean actually below 100 or above 100? Oh, it was very confusing I, to you. Oh my god. I think I we talked about this on a Zoom call and people looked at me like I was so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so on the ATP side, who are your players for breakout of the year in the top 50, 50 to 100, and 100 and above? All right, so top 50, I've got Jordan Thompson of Australia. The next category, I'm looking at ADF. Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, who unfortunately has COVID at the moment, or had it. So I understand that is a risky choice. Nobody knows what his year is going to look like, but I think he is just on the ascendancy. And for 101 plus, we have the Timothy Chalamet of tennis, Lorenzo Musetti. (laughs) The star, the hometown star of the Rome tournament last year. My top 50 player, I think, is physically ready. To break out, Alex Diminar. All right. Number 23 currently. Then I'm going with Corentin Moutet at number 80. The best rapper on the ATP. By a Canadian mile. (laughs) (laughs) A kilometer. (laughs) And then uh, 
I don't know, maybe two players that may seem like obvious choices. Carlos Alcaraz at number 146 mm-hmm. and Brandon Nakashima at 157. I know I'm cheating. I'm going with two there. Okay, okay. Uh, great picks, I think. Well, thank you. <laughs> you usually do better than me at this. On the WTA side, I'll go first. Top 50, I'm going with Jennifer Brady. I'm buying the GME stocks. Mm, oh I'm Lord. going all GameStop <laughs> in on Jennifer Brady because I just think the sky's the limit for her. Mm-hmm. The The standard for breakout in the top 50 is a little different, right? Mm-hmm. Because these players have already broken out in a sense. Yes. But you're looking at what, yeah. like... Slam finals, perhaps. Yeah. Big, I kind of went this titles. road last year with Allison Risk, I think, and it didn't quite mm-hmm. happen. I thought that maybe it's she not, could get to the top 10. It's not always going to pan out. There's only a limited number of spots for people, yeah. right? 51 to 100, I'm going with Layla Fernandez at number 89. Well. Fresh off another win over Sloan Stevens. Mm-hmm. And 101 and above, I'm going with Clara Towson at 144. Young Danish player who won the Australian Open Juniors in 2019. And, you know, with Caroline Wozniacki no longer on tour, this this could be, I don't want to say heir apparent, but the, the new head of Danish women's tennis <laughs> for years to come. Okay, for me, I'm picking Danielle Collins for a top 50 breakout. I'm bullish on Collins. I really liked what I saw against Serena. And she just beat Karolina Pliskova this week as well. It could be the Australian charm. She always plays well here. Listen, there was no Dan yelling against Serena. No. So And she could still fight without the yelling. That's not where I'm going. I'm oh. saying I think she had incredible reverence for Ms. Williams oh, in yeah. that match. Yeah, definitely. And they, they had this moment at net afterward that I really wanted to know what was going on. Right. My pick for 51 to 100 is Anne Lee. The young American, come on. Come on? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's all I got to say. Let's do it. She's doing it. <laughs> she is on the come up. And above the top 100, we got Renata Sarazua, the Mexican player who broke out at Acapulco last year. All right. We shall revisit in however long this season lasts. <laughs> we have arrived at the draw preview section of the show. Mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of people probably skip to this. Listen, that's why we got show notes. We got liner notes. Right. You can you got timestamps. We're not hurt. You can skip around. I don't know how extensive and thorough this is going to be. I would say this is being recorded at Friday night, our time. We're going to be doing a Twitch Saturday afternoon. So look out for that if you've managed to listen by now. And if you haven't, it'll be up for you to go back and watch it where perhaps we get a little bit more in-depth chatting about the oh, stuff with y'all. Yeah, okay, it sounds like subscribe to my Patreon and get it, but no, it's free. It sounds like I'm getting a little bit hoarse. Oh, okay. And <laughs> I'm actually looking forward to the draw, so. All right, well, take All right. it away. Let's talk about the men. We start out, Novak Djokovic is the number one seed. On the top there against Jim Chardy, who's in a semifinal this week, as you said. This little section is full of American men. Frank TFO or Stefano Travaglia, who is also in a semifinal this week. Yeah, so that's a tough opening match for Francis. Would have to play Novak in the second round. Then there's Riley Opelka or Taylor Fritz. So regardless, I think three American guys are going to be knocked out by, by the third round. Listen, it's not as bad as what the Canadian men have to deal with. Oh my in this lord. Drought. 
we got, okay, so Stan Barinka could face Novak in round of 16, but he's got a rough road because there's Fucevic, there is Mutet and Milman, there's Raonic. But remember, Stan Wawrinka is a 2020 quarterfinalist at the Australian Open. I watched Stan play Fucevic in Cincinnati on the grandstand, and Stan completely shanked a ball directly to the back of the court, and I caught it with one hand. Fun fact. Fun fact. We still have that ball, by Mm -hmm. the way. Stan and Milos are slated to play in the third round. Those guys were both quarterfinalists last year. Milos came in on an absolute tear, played his first few matches in Australia last year incredibly well. We're like, wow, he he might have a real chance against Novak. Straight set it. Milos always plays well in Australia. This is mm. this is his best time of year, in my opinion. So the winner of Stan Milos likely will play Novak in the fourth round. Likely. So that's one bad note. For Canadian tennis there, Milos's path is pretty blocked up. <laughs> right. And it then, gets it gets worse. On the it or second not. part of that top half, in the second quarter, Denis Shapovalov, who is he playing in the first round? He's playing Yannick Sinner, a debutante quarterfinalist last year at the French Open. Now, this is to say a tough draw for both men is an understatement. And if you are looking like Manicariol to potentially have a 2021 with less screaming from Denis Shapovalov, this will not help. <laughs> right. Uh, I, this is going to hopefully going to be a very exciting match. I'm depressed that we have to say goodbye to one of those guys after the first round. And should Denis get through that first round match, who's waiting for him likely in the third round, James? Felix Ogre. Ali, Allah Ali Hassan, Hassan Hay. Hay. Yes. Is that how, that's how it's pronounced, right? Allah, I think it's Allah. There was an Allah in oh, there. Oh, sorry. So if Dennis gets through, Felix gets through, they could meet in the third round. But I don't know. I should say that I said Sinner was a Grand Slam quarterfinal debutante. So was Shapovalov last year at the U.S. Open. The other mess in this half, in that second quarter, Dimitrov opens against Marin Cilic, and then Kane Shikori opens against Pablo Carreño Busta. Now, whoever gets through those two matches will likely play in the third round. And Pablo Carreño Busta, what, a, uh, a semi at the U.S. Open last year, a quarter at Roland Garros. Yes. Could play... Contrary to what Nick Kyrgios believes. <laughs> very accomplished on hard courts. Right. Could play Grigor Dimitrov in the third round. Could face Dominic Team in the fourth. I mean, this you know this is a pretty troubling quarter, but Dominic Team still, I believe, is far and away the favorite to get through. Oh yes, his quarterfinal opponent would be Diego Schwartzman, and Novak's potential quarterfinal opponent would be Alexander Zverev, whom he just beat in the ATP Cup in three sets in a third set tiebreaker, I believe. Yeah. So that's the top half of the men's draw. The two top seeds on the men's top half are Novak Djokovic, number one, and number three, Dominic Team. Bottom half, we've got Andrei Rublev, number seven, leading off. He has a, you know, a pretty smooth ride to the round of 16, as a number seven seed should. In the other section there, my breakout pick, Jordan Thompson, opens against number 24, Kasper Ruud. 
Tommy Paul's in there, Reddit fave Radu Albot, Bautista. So, you know, we're slated for a fourth round between Ruby and Bautista Agut. Nobody wants to face Roberto on hard courts. Well, nobody wants to play Rublev on a hardcore right now unless you are somebody ranked higher than him, which there aren't that many of them left. Now, not so fast, though, because Jan Leonard Struff could be RBA's second-round opponent, and Struff just beat Lajovic and Raonic in the ATP Cup. That is not a guarantee for Roberto. Okay. We've got Borna Chorich looking like a whole-ass snack in that kit, that (laughs) orange and blue... Color combination, yep, yep. quite on point. George beat uh, Nikirios, who uh, Kyrgios seems to be struggling with uh, some knee problems, so that's a big question mark. He does not look fit. No. And that was a judgment you could make from before he even took the court. Sorry, did we even mention him? He was in uh, the second quarter. I don't think there's much need to mention Nikirios in this draw. We skipped over him. I mean, Nick has done big things while injured before. Right, but we're talking about somebody who hasn't played any tennis competitively yeah. since <laughs> since original lockdown in March and doesn't look like he's played any tennis right, in right. that time. And we're talking about transitioning to best of five. Like I, I would be shocked if he gets past the third mm. round. Now, you know, David Goffin is easy to overlook, but he is the 13th seed. He could definitely make the round of 16 here. In the other section, Krajinovic and Medvedev are slated for the third round. But all of this is to say we could get a blockbuster Russian quarterfinal between Ruby and Medvedev. Mm-hmm. I'd mentioned George. Why I mentioned George is because he could play Mackie McDonald in the second round and then Goffin in the third round. That's the kind of innocuous matchup of two pretty good players that could provide some really good tennis. Mm-hmm. The winner of that would then play Medvedev in the fourth round. And so, right, you you are correct that it looks kind of inevitable that it would be a Rublev-Medvedev quarterfinal here. And how great would that be? I mean, on this surface, Medvedev, you know, a lot of people believe he's the next one, especially on hard courts. Mm-hmm. It also seems that you are not paying much attention at all to Medvedev's first round match, that you don't think... That Mr. PTP 8.2 is going to be much of a That's true. That is a a very difficult first round against Vasek Pospisil. In the fourth quarter of this draw, this is where you have Rafael Nadal and you have Stefano Tsitsipas as the two highest seeds. So they, provided everything goes to form, would meet in the quarterfinals. That said, Nadal has been dealing with a stiff back, which has prevented him from playing in ATP Cup thus far there are two ways to look at it some folks say like it's clearly not a serious issue he's just being super cautious there's also a way to look at it that rafa is one of those players who buys into this team patriotic stuff Mm -hmm. hook line and sinker and so if, if he's even remotely able to play he'll play i don't know how much that's true for him at this stage of his career certainly felt that way last year or maybe he feels that Spain is in completely capable hands with Bautista Agut and Pablo Carreña Busta. Who knows? Right. But you will be hearing a lot about the state of Rafa's back in the first week of this Australian Open. Matteo Berrettini is still holding on to that number nine ranking. And I feel like 
There are some questions to be asked of Matteo. He could play Stefano Sissipas in the fourth round. What are some of those questions? Is one of those questions, why do you skip leg day? Is that no, one of the questions? That's so rude. I, like, the dude is very tall. It's just how he's built. Uh, people love to go off about his calves. Okay, an objectifying side sidebar here. The dude is objectively very attractive. It's also mm-hmm. objectively very distracting <laughs> to look at his legs. That's so rude. I do. I just love his Roman accent. I'm just going to say that. So uh, Karen Hachanov could play Berrettini in the third round. Orkac could play Tsitsipas in the third. Carlos Alcaraz is playing his first Grand Slam main draw here. He's not even 18 years old yet. Kevin Anderson opens against Berrettini. We also have my breakout pick in the top 50 needing to do the body serves work in the first round. We Alex Dimenauer. We need Alex Dimenauer to put Tennis Sangren back on that plane <laughs> to, to the United States of America. Alex's third round opponent could be Fabio Fognini. We were just literally watching the score as we were recording. Fabio just beat PCB 6-4 in a third set in ATP Cup. Earlier in the week, he lost to Dennis Novak of Austria, which was surprising. He beat Benoit Paire in a bizarre match, mm-hmm. as is to be expected. So what you're saying is you couldn't glean from either match what the state of his form was. <laughs> right. But Fonini Dimenauer as a third round could actually be exciting. Right? I think it would be... A really cute night match on Rod Laver. Mm-hmm. And I think either opponent for Rafa Nadal would be quite tricky, frankly. Especially if you put this newly buffed up Diminar against Nadal under the lights in Melbourne. Right. Now at the bottom there, there's Rafa Nadal, obviously, as the two seed. Dan Evans could be his third round opponent. And... You know, I might have chosen Dan Evans for my breakout in the top 50. I didn't because, like, I'm just not really a big fan. But if I'm being totally honest, I think he's there. Also, keep an eye out for Tanasi Kokonakis. He's back, actually able to play a main draw Grand Slam in Australia. This could be a really cute moment for him. Mm-hmm. He's opening up against Sunu Kwan in the first round. The winner of that going on to play Stefano Tsitsipas. Overall, I think this men's draw is pretty balanced. Of course, in that second quarter, there are some scary matchups early on. But I would say having the Russians, Tsitsipas and Nadal on one side versus having Djokovic, Team, Zverev on the other, it's uh, it's not super lopsided. I, I would agree. What I think is lopsided, however, <laughs> is the women's draw. Mm, okay. Because one half is certainly not like the other. And as we've seen in many, many, many draws in the past, that'll probably mean that the, the bottom half will implode. <laughs> but <laughs> right. upon first perusal, there's some tough roads for folks to travel here, especially Naomi Osaka and Garbinia Muguruza. Naomi saw that draw and she was like, Goodbye, Gippsland Trophy. I don't want it that bad. Listen, she was quoted as saying that she is looking forward to that draw, that she likes playing top players, and she's not not in the least bit mm. awed by it. 
On the top half, it's headlined by Ash Barty, who is into the final of the Yarra Valley Classic. And in the second quarter of that top half, it's headlined by the defending champion, Sonia Kennan. I would say Barty has a pretty clear path to, at the very least, the quarterfinals. There are a lot of question marks here for me. Hold up, girl. She possibly has Alexandrova in the third round. Sure, sure, but that's that's a 29 seed. Even if Alexandrova has been playing well, that's to be expected for for a seed, right? I think. Barty has been playing well this week, but of course we don't really know what to expect in a Grand Slam scenario. In Australia, we saw her make the semifinals last year and probably lose a match that she should have won against Sonia Kennan. And look what happened. Well, is it Garbina's fault or is it Ash's fault? <laughs> Whose fault is it? A lot of people have to share the blame. Seven, to be exact. <laughs> right in the in the next section, there's Annette Contivate, who was a quarterfinalist last year. One that I'm really interested in is this potential second round between Petra Martic and Shelby Rogers. I think that's a huge, huge upset alert. I Shelby see, Rogers is playing very yeah, good ball the yeah. last year since she I came back I see Rogers getting through at least that to the third round and possibly to the fourth. Belinda Bencic, another big question mark. How is she playing? She's been away for a while. Elisa Mattens could play Bencic in the third round. The unseeded Svetlana Kuznetsova is starting against Barbara Streetsova. Two, two oldies, two fan favorites. Two goodies. Mm-hmm. Svetlana is is actually just out of seeding territory. She's in the 30s. And you know her. She can turn it on at random times. Mm-hmm. But look at that. So you got Benchich opening against Lauren Davis to play the winner of Kuznetsova and Stritsova, right? Mm-hmm. That, that little section there, whoever comes through that, one of those four players, will likely play the winner of Elisa Mertens and Leila Fernandez, who play in the first round. That is a very unfortunate first round for both women. Mm -hmm. Fernandez is fresh off beating Sloane Stevens for, I think, the third time. Uh, Another one of this Canadian tennis renaissance. Danielle Collins, you said that you're picking her to break out. She opens against Anna Bogdan. I saw Bogdan play her second match against Ash Barty. And while she lost 6-3, 6-3, I came away from that match needing to look her up and subsequently wonder, how does she not have a WTA title yet? Mm. She's got a lot of talent, and this is the state of the WTA. Like, we went through the, the men's draw, and there were some unfortunate first-round matchups. But once you get past those, the second and third round is, is smooth sailing for a lot of these men. Whereas there are minefields all over this WTA draw. At this point, to me, it feels like it's getting better or worse, depending on how you want to look at it. Mm-hmm. Because we have so many women re-entering the fold. On a very small scale, there's Vera's Vanareva, who seems to be leveling up again, playing really good ball. <laughs> Which is crazy. You have Victoria Azarenka, who re-entered the fray last summer upon resumption. So now she's always going to be part of the conversation now. Mm-hmm. You know, she's another one thrown into the mix. Kim Kleisters, when she comes back sometime this year, she was recently diagnosed with COVID-19. We found that out today. And she's 
recovered and started to practice again and hopes to come back in March. But once she gets a few tournaments under her belt, we may head to the US Open and we're thinking, well, well, damn, Kim Clijsters, who's going to have to play her in the fourth round? <laughs> the depth of the WTA tour is not static by any means. It keeps m- metastasizing <laughs> throughout yeah. the draws. That has a very sinister uh, connotation. That's why I said it's either good or bad the way you want to look at it. And this, again, this little section, we have Karolina Mukhova uh, opening against Ostapenko, who is not the seated player in that scenario. Daniel Collins against Bogdan, as you said, and I am bullish on Collins because of how I saw her this week. Because she beat Pliskova 7-6-7-6 recently, and, and because I'm just so not confident about Pliskova's game at the moment. Another player who always does well in Brisbane, who plays well in Australia for many years, and she just seems to be in a funk. She's won two this year, lost two this year. I don't know. I see. I personally see Danielle Collins getting through to that round of 16. So in that first quarter, the two top seeds on paper are Ash Barty and Pliskova to play in the quarterfinals. What you're saying is that you do not expect Pliskova to get there. No. And I'm saying I don't think it's as a lock for Barty to get there. Oh, okay. I mean, would I be shocked if Pliskova got there? Definitely not. Which is to say there's a lot of room for a lot of women to have a breakout moment in this top quarter. Yeah. The same yeah. can be said of the bottom quarter in the first half. This second quarter is headlined by the with the top seeds, Sonia Kennan and Elena Svitolina. And uh, Ken, so Kennan could potentially play Kai Kanepi in the second round, which is kind of hilarious to me just because of the havoc wrought by Kanepi mm-hmm. everywhere she goes. Should she get through that, though, it, it could be a nice little section there for her to get through to the quarterfinals. Right. That said, I think the big, the big question mark and the person to cause a whole lot of trouble in that section is Jennifer Brady. I agree. I mean, imagine the confidence that she could have gained from her run at the U.S. Open mm-hmm. and the amazing match she played against Naomi, although she lost. It was incredible tennis. I would not be surprised to see her in that semifinal. The only thing I would caution against is that Kennan is going to flourish against the pace of Kanta and Brady. Or she could, because she's a great counterpuncher. She didn't against Muguruza last week, or this week. But Kennan, at her best, could could really find her niche playing big hitters like that. See, I think Kennan, at her best, is also somebody who can hit with pace. Yeah, And so yeah. she can deploy a lot of different things on court. What I would like her to deploy less is the crocodile tears after losing matches. <laughs> That's what I, like I... I don't understand how you lose to Muguruza at what's in effect an exhibition to start the year in the middle of a pandemic and you're leaving the court in tears. I don't think that there are crocodile tears. And normally I'm like sensitive to crying, but it's a lot. Like, it's a lot of crying. It is. Like... (laughs) All the time. If you cry all the time, then I don't have that emotional connection to you and your emotions. Because I, too, have to protect my emotions. And I can't just give them out for free. I guess I just hope she's not going through something really serious. Do you know what I mean? Yes, yes. And that we're being... Well, and that I'm being just a nasty piece of shit for no reason. (laughs) 
No, I'm just saying, like, if you're crying all the time, I really hope that everything is okay in your life. You know, or maybe that's just you. Maybe that's just the way you deal with stress. Stay off Twitter. Do not look Oof. at the way people are commenting yeah, on your just, fashion. Yeah, because that's just nasty. Like, because people are nasty out here in these Twitter streets. It's one thing to, like, talk talk amongst ourselves and clown and whatever, but I don't know why you have to tag her or mm-hmm. reply to her tweets. Like, that just feels really mean. Like, for like, me... Players are human beings. For me, mocking her fashions is so January 2020. And we've had a whole ass pandemic since then. <laughs> and we're still in the middle of it. Like... Right. You're about to flip the page. Don't go... Not so fast. Azarenka opening against Pagula. That's tough. You know, I mean, it's it's not impossible, but... Oh my god, thank you for telling me not to flip the page because I almost overlooked Yulia Putintseva against Sloane Stevens in the first round. Oh lord. Lord. If it's not one scam, it's if, another. Say it with me. <laughs> That was in response to one of my questions. What? The, if it's not one scam, it's another. Oh, you're, well, congrats. It's Kudos the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. Right, right. And nobody knows. Will I do anything better than that? Doubtful. Well, I, I mean, I should hope so. No, this is pretty great. <laughs> and I'm, you know, whenever we get these quote-unquote popcorn matchups, you know, people are like, oh my God, I'm stuffing popcorn in their mouth in GIF form on Twitter. It's like, okay, like, is it really that good? This is one that I actually do want to watch. Yeah, this one is. Nothing to say about about Coco Golf? No, no, I was getting there. This this little bottom section in the top half has Coco Golf versus Jill Teichman, and then Marie Boskova versus Alina Svitolina. Man, whoever gets through that is going to have to do some work. Mm -hmm. And that's a rematch. Of just this past week, Coco Goff and Jill Teichman played. Three-set match. Uh, you know, obviously, it's obvious at this point, keep an eye on Maria Sakari mm-hmm. is slated to face Azarenka in the third round. That is not a guarantee for Vika. No. Definitely not. The The second round and third round matches in this top half are lit. Yeah. The bottom half is where so much of this inequity is that we perceive. <laughs> Okay, I'm seeing it now. <laughs> now that we've written out the the seeded rounds of 16 and quarterfinalists, I'm I'm seeing the inequity. Okay, but even the third rounds, say Bianca is, is even in like 60% form. She could potentially play Venus Williams in the third round, Vondrosova against Kvitova, Muguruza against Kerber, Jabur against Osaka, Alison Risk against Serena, Sviantek against Rybakina. That's just... Okay, so you've gone through like all the third rounds here. There's some big-time matchups. Bianca is the number eight seed. She has not played in over a year. She pulled out of the tournament the Grampians Trophy, which was probably a very sensible decision for her. We have no idea what kind of form she is in, though. So this section is a big question mark. She opens against Buzernescu. Next is Shea versus Peronkova. Peronkova was a U.S. Open quarterfinalist. Kirsten Flipkins versus Venus Williams. I know you have a story about that that you told on Twitter. I don't know if you'd like to rehash it here. It was traumatic. I was so annoyed. It was, okay, so it was the first time. You tell it, you tell it. It was the first time we ever saw Venus Williams live. And there was a time when we thought 
we may never see her before she retires. Even then, in 2013, <laughs> we thought that Venus at yeah. 33 years old, oh my God, we may never see yeah. her. Well, she was dealing with Sjogren's at that time. Yes. So uh, luckily, we've been able to see her a bunch of times since then. But she was leading Kirsten Flipkins. I think she won the first set easily. She won the first set six love. Okay, I don't, I don't even remember Our that. first time seeing Venus Williams play, and she won a six love bagel. <laughs> it was glorious. Until. I mean, it turned into a classic Venus struggle, especially during that period where she would get mired in these third sets. There was an older woman near us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Over guess my left shoulder. We These days, you might call her a Karen. But back then, we didn't use that word in common parlance. That slur. She was screaming, go Kristen, the entire time. Like, she didn't know what the hell was happening. But she knew she wanted Kristen to win. And you are sitting there next to me, seething, like, really mad. Because her name is Kirsten. Mm -hmm. And if that woman had really been a fan this of Kirsten, this she would have known, right? And so, so what's, the, what's the tell, though? The tell is that she's most likely rooting for this woman whose name she does not know because of who she's playing, mm-hmm. who's Venus Williams. Ebony and Ivory, and that is living just, in that perfect is just harmony. unattractive on the inside. She was unattractive on the outside, too. <laughs> so as we are leaving, Jonathan went over to the woman, like, oh, my Lord, oh, just... We need to go. And he says, just so you know, her name is Kirsten. <laughs> she was stunned. <laughs> I mean, she probably called the police shortly after. I mean, you got to resist any way you can. <laughs> you know? Anyway, that is a long way of saying Venus and Kirsten are playing again. I'm not looking forward to that no. much. Uh, but who... Who is making the third round or the round of 16 there? Like, is Bianca, is Bianca back? Is Venus playing well? Is Wang Chung going to do is, it? Is Pironkova going to mess up everybody's life again? No, but listen, like, this is the exact same stage that Wang beat Serena last year. Oh, my Lord. And now she plays Venus. Right. Oh, and just for drama, Sarah Aroni is in there as well. Listen. <laughs> That's not something to worry about. <laughs> no, I'm just saying there is, I mean, talk about entertainment value in this little section. Mm-hmm. So next we've got the Vondrosova Kvitova section. Kvitova, remember, uh, the consistency has been great lately. She was a quarterfinalist. Well, not in not in the Yarvar Classic, Bob. No, well, no. But she was a quarterfinalist last year in Australia. Finalist the year before in Australia. Yes, she was quarterfinalist at or she was a semi-finalist at the french in 2020 she reached around a 16 in the u.s open like kvitova you know a constant threat exactly so vondrosova could play kvitova in the third round that is rough and who i mean really of that part who reaches the quarterfinals truly any number of like Eight different women could make yeah, that quarterfinal yeah. there. In the second quarter, in this bottom half, we've got Muguruza and we've got Naomi Osaka as the two top seeds there. If we were to get a fourth round with Osaka and Muguruza, that would be stunning. Sickening. It would, oh, and upsetting. No, I know. 
At the same because, time. Because, you know, Muguruza against Kennen looked like a title threat. I mean, people are starting to put bets on her. Osaka. I mean, what do you say about Naomi? Like, She hasn't lost a match in a long time. That's what I say about her. <laughs> she's only retired from matches and right. withdrawn from matches. But look who she's got to open against. Ms. Pavlyuchenkova. Who's reached the second week in Australia a bunch of times. Reached the quarterfinals last year. Should she get to the second round, she has former, I think, number five ranked player, Caroline Garcia, who looked pretty good to start this week. Then Anjabur in the third round, Muguruza in the fourth round, Andrescu, or any number of those eight women in the quarterfinals. Yeah, this it's, it's, is a, a, it's, a, it's a tough road. It's a very tough road and for And so Naomi. too for Muguruza. Opens against Gasparian, then potentially plays Badosa in the second round, Kerber in the third round, Osaka in the fourth round. Uh, that's going to be a section to watch. But you never know. Some, you know, sometimes these players with real pedigree put together title runs like that. Mm-hmm. Like and that's what they need. To... Miraculously, in spite of all we just said about how tough this section is, it's not a bad draw for Venus Williams. <laughs> Shockingly. <laughs> Shut up. Shockingly. It's not. You get Kirsten Flipkins in the first round. Who could easily beat her? It could happen. Right. I'm under no delusion of that. But you get Flipkins in the first round. Wang Chung is a it's a winnable match in the second round. We don't know what Bianca Andrescu is going to turn up with in the third round. And even so, we know that Venus can raise her game. We saw how she played Kovedova this past week, if she gets to her in the fourth round. like It's, mm. it's cause for optimism and excitement <laughs> and just... Man, Venus fans, Wonderment. Venus fans are something else. No, I'm usually very pessimistic <laughs> when it comes to the draw stuff. And I don't think that she's going to necessarily go far, but at least you don't feel like the draw is stacked against yeah, her. Yeah, she could have opened against her sister. Exactly. Really. In okay. the final quarter. Sabalenka, who has been considered a favorite for this title for a little while, even though she hasn't been to the late stages of majors, she's been the best player on the tour for a few months. And I mean, when I say that. Half a year. (laughs) You know, she won two titles at the end of last year. She won to start the year. She's in great form. Yes, but then she gets Kazakhan in the second round, potentially. Exactly. Who is resurgent. Right. Sabalenka can miss by 10, 15 feet. And she's missed the second week of a Grand Slam in every single slam she's entered. Sounds really mean when you say that. she made one fourth round. She's never made the quarterfinals of Mm. any slam that she's entered. It's gonna happen. Will it be this time? It's going to happen. Yeah, of course. Serena opens against Zygamond. Second round against Begu, who got a, a couple of good wins under her belt this past week. Third round potentially against Sabalenka. And then, should Serena advance to the quarterfinals, that's where she would play either Halep, Sviantek, Rybakina. Yeah, this uh, the last section here is interesting. Iga Sviantek against Aronska. Rus? Aranska. Aranska. Yes. Fiona Farrow, uh, Vera Zvonareva playing Rybakina in the first round, Kostiak and Kudermatova, who are, you know, big picks to be kind of uh, the next top players in the next generation. Simona Halep, you mentioned she might have uh, an injury concern, but she's still the number two seed. And she looked great in her opening match. If she, Even if she's healthy... 
she still potentially has to play Iga Shvantec in another slam fourth right. round. After Shvantec just yeah. drummed her out of Roland This would be the third time they've played, and all three would be in a slam fourth round. Mm. So I understand when you say you feel this draw is lopsided. Mm-hmm. Just to recap, we have Kvitova, Muguruza, Osaka, Sabalenka, Serena, Shvantec, Simona Halep, and Andreescu. And not just lopsided with names, lopsided with names who showed a lot this past week. Right. All right. That Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about the draws on Twitch, but that's... Are you committing to that? Can I get you on record? Maybe. You know, I had a long-ass day today. You have I'm had a long week. basically delirious at this point. Yeah, but this is, this is slam season. Like, we have a podcast. We've got to provide the people the content that they need, you know? <laughs> The next three weeks are going to be rough, podcasting-wise. Indeed. Thank you for listening. I hope you all are excited about the Australian Open. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter, tennis underscore John. And I'm James, at Elliot JMR. We are at the Body Serve on Twitter and Instagram. You just cut me off with the two L's, two T's. Oh, Are God. you over it now because there's an Elliot with two T's on Drag Race? Are you relinquishing Well, he that? was voted off. But yeah, I was a little annoyed <laughs> by it, if I'm no, being honest. No, he's still on it. Wasn't really no Elliot with two T's is still on it. It was oh the, that was the Joey trade. J, the yeah, other the trade white is one. gone. Yeah. yeah okay, all right. I mean the other white one. They're mostly white ones. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. Anyway, Elliot JMR with two L's and two T's. Thank you all for listening. Find us on whatever podcasting app that you use. Be it Podbean. What are the other ones? Overcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, we're everywhere. Give us a review if you'd like. We appreciate those. And if you'd like to tune into our Twitch session live or watch it on on what playback? Yeah, it's twitch.tv slash thebodyserve. And if you follow us, you'll get a little notification when mm-hmm. we go live. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the tennis, y'all. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you very much.